hey guys what's up how's everyone doing um i'm still your podcast host who hasn't posted in two weeks okay it's not up to two weeks but a week and a couple of days and um this is my attempt at an apology so sorry guys life has happened life has been happening and it has been happening very very quickly and so i haven't had time to um record a podcast or record an entire episode so i've had a couple of segments but not the entire episode um it's been a couple of crazy weeks for me i just got a job so excited um and yeah we're we're just you know we're rolling the dice and seeing how life treats us so last week i was supposed to put out an episode for galatians chapter 4 to chapter 6 and this week we did the book of romans we didn't announce that out because we didn't do a podcast so i'm going to do a quick summary of galatians 4 to 6 and do romans 1 to 4 in this episode so it's going to be kind of longer than other episodes but please bear with me galatians 4 to 6 is pretty simple it's pretty short and um, we get to Romans 1 to 4 as quickly as possible. Also, on this episode, Adi is not here because we've not been able to figure out with my new schedule. We've not been able to figure out time to record together and stuff like that. We've often had busy days. But we will keep working at it so that your favorite girl can come back and co-host with me. I enjoy co-hosting with ID as well. So let's get into the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for staying. To every person who's listened to the previous episodes and shared, thank you so, so much. Galatians and Romans starts now. Okay, so the quickest summary to the book of Galatians. In this book, we have talked about in the last episode how Paul was appalled at the Galatians, at the people of the Galatian church. He was like, wait a second, you receive the spirit not by works but by your faith. Then how do you seek to be made complete by works of your hands? He was really surprised. And so he goes on and on to explain to them how works are not equal to faith. He goes on to tell them how the law is not faith and how faith is not the law. He goes on to separate the two concepts because when you start to put them together you miss the whole point of jesus christ being crucified he says if you could be saved by the works of your hand then christ died for nothing because simply the israelites had been working all those times all the time before christ came the israelites had been using works but they were not made righteous it was written by the works of their hand shall no man be called righteous this is the fact of the law the law was only given so that they will know the extent of their sin or their sinfulness and so paul goes on to tell them these people who are coming to lie to you and these people who are telling you all these things about the law they are they are they're getting on his nerves honestly if you notice the way paul writes in this book if you notice his tone they're really getting on his nerves 
but he's like yo how not just the people who are preaching the wrong thing but the people who paul has dedicated his life the people who paul has taught he's like you guys believe these guys really does it does it add up to you and so he goes on in four to six to kind of buttress his point that's really just what galatians is paul telling the galatians come on the law really he gives examples he gives further examples allegories he talks about the he he uses sarah and agar and agar's son ishmael sarah's son isaac to explain the differences between the law and grace and it's such an interesting allegory that he uses so often what i've known from um, a lot of christian gatherings is how people use ishmael as islam say so so they say ishmael is islam and that that place in galatians 4 was speaking about islam and um christianity and the differences but it very clearly speaks of not islam because when the bible was written there was no religion like islam when paul wrote these letters there was no islam islam came many years after this thing was compiled i mean compiled i mean the old testament and new testament were canonized then islam came after that part in galatians 4 speaks clearly of the law as agar and ishmael it calls agar the bondwoman agar was one of sarah's slaves and sarah as grace sarah and her son isaac as grace and so these are just examples not clearly saying that agar was the law sarah was these are just examples to make the Galatians understand better what the law is, what what um, the freedom of grace is, and the absolute difference. Saying all of this, Paul says, because you are not under the law, but under the Spirit's influence, these are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that you desire because you have the Holy Spirit's influence on you. And against these things, there's no law. He says kindness, peace, long-suffering, joy. These are fruits of the Spirit. I like how he starts um, Galatians 6, where he says, If any man is overtaken by a trespass, let him... Let those of us who are not overtaken correct that person, knowing that we as well could be tempted. I like that part a lot because looking contextually at the entire book, I can also say that if any man is out here preaching wrong doctrine, if any man is following the way of wrong doctrine, saying, okay, well, I can say Holy Spirit, calm down, or things like that, which are wrong doctrine, which are not the things that we understand from scripture because we know that the Holy Spirit lives in us forever. If any such person is is overtaking with such a trespass and we see that earlier in the book where paul corrected peter peter was one of the first people who took the gospel to gentiles but peter ended up um doing some sort of hypocrisy on the way where he didn't want to eat with gentiles and things like that but you witness these same gentiles receive the holy spirit but you see paul says i forbade him to his face and so we also have the responsibility those who understand the truth of God's word to forbid them to forbid them to their face to tell them that what you're doing is wrong but to do it knowing that you as well could be tempted knowing that you do it doing it in two ways number one doing it watchfully doing it because wow if this person can make this mistake then I also can make this mistake I have to be watchful of the things that I listen to I have to be watchful of the things that I say I have to be watchful of the company that I'm in so that I do not not start to say these things as well 
and secondly doing it in love knowing that when you or if you get into such a situation you would want to be corrected and upheld in love so doing all things as you would like it to be done unto you as well so these this this was another really interesting part in galatians 6 another part he talks about which is really used a lot is let no man trouble me for i bear on my body the marks of jesus christ now this part is often used out of context so i'll try and do a quick explanation i'm trying to be really quick because we're we really want to be done with galatians and move into romans chapter 1 to chapter 4 so paul um is talking about bearing on his body the marks of jesus christ because as many as have believed and as have come into jesus christ by faith you know what we have we have now shared in not just his glory of ascension but we have also shared in his sufferings it's a certainty so what happens is um the marks that paul is talking about is not just the lashings that he physically received which he actually did receive it's not the times that he went through hunger these things did happen to paul but paul understands that he has bared the sufferings that christ has suffered on the cross he is suffering because christ suffered they hated him so they will hate us they will hate you as a christian and paul understands that he bears those marks and those are the most important marks that i am joined together in christ's suffering and i'm also joined together in his glory those are very important marks that we should always remember not circumcision not any of those traditional keepings of some sort of laws or traditions not any of that but remembering the most important tradition is that i drank of his blood i ate of his flesh i am joined together in his suffering in his pain in his glory in his ascension in his resurrection in his authority i am with christ i am christ and that is the most beautiful part of the book of galatians for me so i hope you guys have enjoyed it seven minutes 30 something seconds i really did this quick 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 and i hope you've enjoyed this now moving on to romans one to four thank you getting straight into romans one to four amazing book first thing i have to say about the book of romans is that it's very wholesome and that's one thing i really love about paul and the way he writes paul usually takes you from what you know to to what you should know so paul starts as usual by greeting them body of letter commending them reminding them that in christ jesus they 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 have power in God's spirit. They they're declared righteous. They and we we have he he writes in chapter one verse five. He says through him we have received grace. So it's not just him. He says all of us have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So it's every single person that's called by grace in grace to take the gospel to all nations and that's what paul says and so um paul goes on as in every single letter even when he's pissed off at them like in galatians or in corinthians in first corinthians paul will still commend them even when they're like when they're sinful paul will still tell them you people are saints of god you people have grace upon grace 
power understood that what you do or do not do does not change your status in the eyes of God. You see, when God calls you righteous by faith, you are righteous. That's what he calls you. His calling does not depend on you. I'm really sorry. It is often taught to us that we needed to do something or that we need to do something for God to call us for us to be seen as worthy but we see that that is not consistent with scriptural knowledge and I'm not just talking about New Testament knowledge I'm talking even in the Old Testament God called a shepherd called David who people had so many names for David was a lot of things but God called him out you see God calls you in your most quote-unquote insignificant phases he calls you when you think you're not enough because the calling is not of you it's of god do you get that so he's always talking about how they're called to be saved verse 7 and so paul goes on one of my favorite verses in chapter 1 is verse 16 that says for i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ jesus for it's the power of god unto salvation for everyone who believes it's such an interesting verse because it has two main concepts that embody the gospel first of all is that the gospel is the power of god that saves what saves you is the gospel nothing more nothing less what saves the power of god to save you is contained in the gospel the simplicity of the gospel will find that later on in Romans chapter 10 when we get there that the gospel is what when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe with your heart in your heart that God raised him from the dead so this is how simple the gospel is but Paul is saying that this is how God saves that's the power of God to save so the power of God to save is not in laying on of hands it's not in how great your attitude is that someone is going to see how good you are and then receive the gospel no the power of God to save is in taking the gospel to nations and preaching unto them and the second component is for everyone who believes every single person has been called to believe in the truth of the gospel every single person the Jew first and down to the Greek this is it for in it that is in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith it starts with faith and it ends with faith all your life lives by faith by grace through faith so you're living because of the grace of god by your faith in that grace what your faith does is like a hand stretched out to hold on to grace and that once your hand catches on to grace by believing god holds you all the way so your righteousness or the righteousness of god is revealed by faith to faith it starts with your faith and it ends with your faith all wrapped around in Jesus and in his grace and in his sacrifice and in what the gospel really is so interesting that's my favorite verse from this now Paul goes on after explaining what the gospel is and telling how excited he is how unashamed he is to tell the entire world about the gospel he starts to tell them he starts to tell them one thing he first of all establishes that every single person is aware that God is God exists and He's like, there's no excuse. There's no saying, the gospel wasn't brought to me yet. I'm not saying don't take the gospel out. I'm only saying Paul established a fact. A thought process started from here where he said, ever since the creation of the world, God, the existence of God is clear in the things that can be seen and the things that cannot be seen. In the wind blowing that you cannot see, there is a God These are the facts that emphasize in our humanness that there is a God. So you're without excuse. 
So he's saying, yes, you're a Gentile. And maybe you don't know about the God of Israel. But you're without excuse because you know by your conscience, by the things that you can see and the things that you cannot see, that there is a God. And he goes on to explain Gentile behavior. That still there's like Gentiles being unbelievers. Um... Sorry, Gentiles in this context, not unbelievers, Gentiles being people who are not Jews. So in this context, he goes on and on to tell what these Gentiles do. He says they worship idols, they're in homosexuality, they're in so many things, so many things that are unclean. And these things are unclean to what? To God. They're unclean to the laws of the Israelites, basically. So Paul is going on to explain these are the things that the Gentiles do that God does not approve of, even when they know that there is a God instinctually. They know that there is a creator of the entire earth. Now he he's he's done with saying Gentiles are sinful and they're they're wicked. They're wicked by the things that they do. And then he goes on in chapter two to say but you're without excuse now he's not saying the gentiles alone are without excuse he's already said that in chapter one he now goes you who judge them (laughs) this is so interesting he's saying you the israelites who judge the gentiles you're without excuse you don't even have a reason to say look how bad they are so he's established for every single person the jew and the gentile who's probably sitting now listening to this message uh, this letter being read to them in church and he's established from the start that yes the gentiles are evil but you are without excuse as well you jew who judges them but in the same way you're doing the same things you're judging them for so you say you have the law and you boast in it but in the same way you're piling up wrath for yourself why because you're not even obeying the law that you say you have (laughs) you're worse without excuse these people might try to say oh the gospel wasn't I, i never met god i didn't have god revealed unto me but you have no excuse because you have the laws of god but yet you don't keep them and so he goes on to explain so some people would would say um i mean if if I'm faithful, some people say, if I'm sinful and it's showing, I'm sorry, let me take that again. Some people would think that, um, well, God hasn't done anything to the Gentiles or to me. I mean, this is Paul speaking to Jews and Gentiles in the uh, Roman church, and he calls them all saints, so I believe they're all Christians. So, the book of Romans generally is a writing, it's just like a premise. Paul goes to like explain the entirety of the gospel, and he tries to build them up. It's a really wholesome book. And so he says, some of you would say, well, God hasn't judged me, hasn't struck me dead with lightning if you say I'm such a bad person. And Paul is like, are you taking the patience of God disrespectfully? Do you think that God is stupid or mocked because he's been patient with you? He's being patient with you so that in the time that he's patient, you will lead back onto repentance. Why is Paul saying this? He's saying this because the wrath of God is certain. The wrath of God is coming. This is the truth. And the wrath of God is not upon people who... Let, let, me, let me put that in a different way. The wrath of God is not what is sending people to hell. 
I'd like to clarify that and I'll repeat it. The wrath of God does not send people to hell. We understand straight by gospel fact that the world is already or has already been in condemnation on their way to hell. That is a straight path for anyone who's in this world. They're on their way to hell. What Jesus Christ did was to change the course, the eternal course of everybody because of sin. Jesus Christ came to change that. The wrath of God will be <clears throat> will be released upon those who have seen the gospel, who have heard the gospel, and yet they do not want to believe on Jesus Christ. The wrath of God will be released on those people who are in condemnation. It's not going to be released is not going to be the one to put you in condemnation because Jesus did not come to condemn the world but he came that the world through him might be saved this is the fact stop taking the gospel lightly it's it's so important that people receive this message it's so important pray for people to receive this message pray that the gospel prospers support missionaries go out and preach listen the gospel is so important because these people are on their way to condemnation. These people are on their way to con- Listen, the gospel is that all men come to Jesus Christ. All men experience life eternal with Christ Jesus. All men experience the God life. The gospel is that the God life, not just in heaven, not just for later. The God life even now, starting right now, that's what the gospel is. Okay, so I've digressed a little bit. And so Paul goes on and says, um, those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. He, he signifies how those people who are even without the law will still be judged by their conscience. And those people who are in the law will now be judged not just by their conscience, but by the law itself that tells them that what they're doing is wrong. What does Paul do in this respect? (laughs) Paul aligns both the Gentile and the Jew as all men are sinners. He goes on. That's what he does in chapter 2. He tells the Jews that, yo, you think you have the law, so that is your advantage. The law is what judges you. The law is what shows the extent of your sinfulness. The law is not here to make you feel better. It's not here to say, oh, yeah, you're a good person because well, you've been circumcised, Israelite, stuff like that. No, it's like the law is the thing that is pointing at your sinfulness. You can't even dodge. You have no excuse. And then he goes on in chapter 3. Really quickly, he says, So what advantage has the Jew over the Gentile? So interesting, don't you think? Paul says, How is the Jew, or what advantage does the Jew have over the Gentile? What is the need of eight days an idle baby getting circumcised? What is the need of Jesus giving me the ark of of God giving me the ark of covenant in the old covenant of me um having to walk through the desert for years of me having to get Jerusalem build a temple things like this? What is the use of all these things if I am a sinner just like the Gentiles? And then Paul say. You have some, you have some advantage. <laughs> so I'm sure their ears perked up at this part, like, oh, finally, at least I'm better than the Gentiles. 
And then what does Paul say? He says, your advantage is that God decided to reveal himself to you. God decided that Jesus Christ will come through you. That's it. That's basically all there is. <laughs> Ella. Ow. Well. <laughs> so the Jews have major Ella here, basically. Because they were probably thinking, oh well, at least Paul's going to say we're a little bit. But then Paul's just like, well, <laughs> Jesus came through you. Duh, that's probably the only thing you have, that Jesus came through your lineage. You were given the laws of God. You were given the oracles. You had prophets. You had judges. The story of God was basically told through you. But then he says, What if some of you, who through your lineage Jesus has come, what if some of you don't believe in this Jesus who has come and gone? Because that is true. We even see that right now. Many Jews many israelites they don't believe that jesus has come judaism is a top rate um, religion and the um people who practice judaism which is just the old testament the old covenant they still believe that there's the old covenant jesus has not yet come the messiah is not yet here and they're saying what if there are people like that which there still are anyway will their faithlessness will the fact that they don't have faith in the fact that the Messiah who has come and died and resurrected at this point is the Jesus, is the Christ. Will their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul answers as often. He, he always has these rhetorical questions. It says, will their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And he says, nope. Because God will always be true while every man will be a liar. God's truth is God's truth. It's either you conform to God's truth or you're a liar. <laughs> you, God's truth does not simultaneously align with your own truth. God's truth is God's truth. Do you believe in God's truth? Then that is God's truth. You're on the side of God's truth. If you have another um, detail, another fact, that is your truth and it's a lie. When it stands before God's truth, it bows its knee to the real truth. Because whatever your facts are, God's truth is the truth and your facts are a lie. And so he's saying that even though these people do not believe, I still promise that Jesus will come through them. So even if they don't believe in the Messiah, (laughs) Jesus is still here. That's what Paul is saying. He said, it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Glory to God. Wow, this is amazing. This is, this is so interesting. It says, you may be justified. <laughs> you see, God is a just judge. And that's why Jesus had to come. This is simply it. Jesus had to come because God is a just judge. And the penalty for sin is death. Everyone was going to die because of sinfulness, because of sin, sin nature that we inherited from Adam. Because he's a just God, you must die. That's just it. Like people often say mercy, he tampered justice with mercy, but that's not what happened though. <laughs> God is just, and so <laughs> he had to justly come and die for our sake that was the justice 
That was him showing his justice. That you may be justified in your words. The thing that you said will happen. That if they do this, they will die. It justly will happen. You may be justified in your words and that you may overcome when you are judged. He came onto this earth and he came without sin and he died our death and he resurrected. He overcame death, the grave and the gates of hell when he did. He overcame all of that when he was judged. Oh death, where is your sting? It's so beautiful to think about this, that God is the just judge with the merciful sacrifice. That's my God. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, this is another funny story. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath on us? So if us being bad shows that Jesus is good and the other extreme, why would God still be punishing me when I'm showing that Jesus is good? (laughs) That's a human thought. Some will say, let us do evil so that good will come. Let me tell you what Jesus is. Jesus is good. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is just. Whether you are, (laughs) whether you are bad or good, Jesus is. God is simply and straightforward. I tweeted something, I think it was yesterday, two days ago, where I talked about how that whoever comes to Jesus must believe that he is first and foremost <laughs> it's he is not because you are he's a just judge not because you were unjust he's just because he is just <laughs> this is the truth he cannot lie he is just because he's just he he was judged and acquitted because he's righteous it's not because you are unrighteous that he became righteous he is righteous because he is righteous everything is about him not about you and so that's what paul is saying he's saying it's not about you at the end of the day it's not about you at all it's about god and so he goes on quotes the old testament i think it's psalms where he says nobody's righteous and um he goes to verse 23 and this place is often quoted for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god for there is no difference this is what he's establishing that both the jews and the gentiles all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and this part is often quoted and then you stop there and then in your morning prayers you say for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god full stop father lord jesus forgive me if i've sinned against you knowingly and unknowingly sins of the past of omission of commission and on and on and on and so interesting that that's not where this ends this doesn't end with a full stop paul gives them hope he said it's true all of you are lined under sin you've all sinned but everyone i'm going to read this straight from here it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god comma being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus comma so it goes on but first of all we have to clarify that all have sinned but all can be justified through what freely first of all freely by his grace through the redemption that is in jesus christ and he ends up describing redemption that is in jesus christ the redemption of jesus christ jesus christ was set forth as a propitiation by his blood (laughs) through faith 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his pre-knowledge in his forbearance he had passed over all the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus christ so for justice he did not send anybody to the he did not push anybody to condemnation for justice sake he passed over all those sins and then laid christ before and so that everyone will come to him through christ he put the bar and he made it equal it's not about well i'm sort of a good person do you have christ it's not about well i'm really a bad person do you have christ that is the bar that is that is the gate that all of us are equal He's saying, come to me by Jesus Christ. He's saying, come to me by Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about your sinfulness. It's not about your sin nature. He laid you all equal in your sinfulness. And then he found an equal propitiation, the blood of Jesus Christ, that is able to save you from your sinfulness by faith. So that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So beautiful, isn't it beautiful? So he's saying, so it's not it's not an issue of boasting any longer because you understand that you did nothing for it it's not about you it's just about god so where's boasting nowhere chapter four he goes on to use the example of abraham you notice that paul likes to go back to use old testament examples to explain what christ has done because the old testament was the shadow of what was what was to come Many of the things that happened in the Old Testament were showing of what Christ would do when he came. And so he said, Abraham, our father, was found righteous. Ha! How? And God said what? What did God say? Your faith is counted as righteousness. That's what God said to Abraham. He just believed and he was counted righteous. (laughs) Abraham lied. Abraham had bouts of sinfulness. Abraham had all of these things. But what did God say? Saying that even then, eh, it was faith that counts you as righteous, so not the things that you do. Even then. So all those righteousness that you thought was righteousness, that, oh my God, Enoch was such a good man, he went to heaven. He's saying, no, that's self-righteousness. Oh. That's not what happened. Oh. He's saying, you are justified as righteous by faith. He says, even David talks about this, the righteousness that will be imputed on the on the man who will be forgiven, not by works, whose sins will be covered, not by works. And then he explains how that because of Abraham's, he's the first person that was called righteous by faith in scripture. So because of that, we're now described as sons of Abraham in quote. Because he's the first person, he's like the father of us all by faith. Because we have like faith with Abraham, he's like our father. So when we sing, Father Abraham, how many blah blah blah, many blah blah, Father Abraham. I really don't know the song. I'm sure you'd have figured that one out by now. He's your father by faith, not in real life. So when you see Abraham was our father by faith, don't go back to the old covenant and say, I'm praying my father's prayers and be praying the prayers that Abraham prayed. These things do not apply to you because (laughs) 
Newsflash, you're saved. That's that's what's up. You've been called right. That's that's what's up. This is just the fact. And that's what Paul was trying to explain to them. He said his faith was counted to him for righteousness. Your faith as well is counted to you for righteousness. I like the end of chapter 4. It says, Now it is not written for only Abraham that it was imputed unto him, but also for us. And it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. Wow, that was was a spread of tongue right there. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up for our offenses. He was sacrificed for our offenses and he was raised back to life for our justification. You see, your salvation story is not complete if you only think about the sacrifice of Jesus. Your salvation story is complete when you think not only of the fact that he sacrificed himself, but also that he was resurrected to glory. He ascended for you, for your justification. That's what happened. That's the fullness of the salvation story. And that is all for Romans 1-4. Thank you so much for staying with me. Thank you for listening. I hope you did enjoy this episode or this segment. The next segment is the Christian Takes segment. And this week, I featured Samuel. Samuel is like one of my favorite people. He's, he's so interesting to talk to. And I hope you do enjoy that segment as well. See ya. So on this segment, called the Christian Takes segment, I'm here with one of my favorite people. <laughs> I have to say one of my favorite people because I really do like Samuel. I enjoy his company and I enjoy discussing stuff with him. Yes, Samuel Ujo, right? Yes. Yeah, Samuel, say hi. Hi. No, like, still do me bedroom voice ish. Well, no, really. I mean, that is that. This is how I, it's how, how I always talk. I mean, it, it is. It, it's a thing. So hello. Samuel. Okay, Samuel, saying hi, guys. So we're going to be talking about the world's response or the world's giving of love the world's type of love basically and versus god's type of love which is love that we should have as christians so we're recording in a car with leather seats so you have to bear with us if you hear any scratching sounds and stuff okay are you settled i'm settled all right so first first thing i would um notice about how the world loves is that there's they they tend to be some sort of there tends to be selfishness in the way the world loves and and you see that in how we want to love because of ourselves so you're loving someone because of how he makes you feel what he does for you it's often about us and you know it's not really far-fetched because it's a human thing like humans are as much as we're social animals we're very worried we're very concerned about ourselves okay so we're very um we always look into ourselves i use a lot of sentence fillers like um uh, no, it's fine. you know <laughs> this is literally i mean you're on a podcast right so it's literally your space uh, okay yeah, yeah this exactly guys so please bear with me so this is something that you get a lot in the world and it's an idea of love that needs to change. It's a perversion of love because when man fell and when man became sinful, 
the real things or what it really should be is not what we carried on with us so com- coming with the sin nature we have a lot of perversions of a lot of ideas okay. so the idea of love as you know what am I getting it's not really the idea of love that Christ teaches us so what what you think is in terms of selfishness what do you think God would rather have us what what way do you think God would rather have us love well I mean God's um, opinion of love is really more of how you can give how you can make make perfect I think in my opinion it's like God God's love makes another person better Mm. it's and I think that that should be our um our sort of love yeah that should be our attitude towards love love. how we can transform another person how we can give and I guess it's not it isn't like um, a concept that fits with the world because we don't because in the world giving doesn't make you Mm. giving takes from you from you but if we consider it as from God's point of view perspective as we give we are replenished yes and even the act of giving in and of itself it makes us it's about it's about being not about having mm. so when you um think about that's a god as, perspective yes so when you think about um giving as taking from what you have but instead we can think of love as giving and then making us we are more it's not i mean so even if we have we have less we are more, more. by virtue of what we're, do, we're doing yeah and the way we, the way we love others yeah so well basically I, I get what you mean actually so we're giving us we're giving because of what we have what we are not because yeah. of what we have mm-hmm. So, and what we are in Christ Jesus is complete, victorious, possessing of the King of Kings, possessing of God on the inside. And so, that is us giving. I think um, when when we understand that loving someone is as much giving as anything else, because loving someone is like a sacrifice laid out. And you see how Christ sacrificed himself. We learned something in church today. Where um, in John three sixteen, which is a very popular verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So, the so the way God loved the world is in His sacrifice of Christ, in giving Christ, and so there was sacrificial giving that was going on when we talk about love or when we're expressing love so that also should be we should learn from how god loved and the way christ loved and that should also be our like life's goal as christians another thing and another way that the world loves is possessively yeah yeah so there's there's the whole you belong to me yeah i think that's it yeah that's basically that's a basic way of putting it so i I want to own you. I want to own your actions. I want to own your um, decisions, things like that. And it's it's so strange that we can easily look at this possessively and think about that's what men like to do. But honestly, women do love possessively as well. Mm. Not trying to make this a gender issue, but like we find that women who are in those relationships they're trying to own the way their man does things they're trying to 
own the places he goes to they're trying to own the friends that he keeps so things like that is how the world tends to see or tends to react to love but that isn't really how god god loves us we notice in god's love we notice free will yeah when we began i was just thinking i mean first off a lot of how the world loves is I mean, because each, uh, each of us, before we come to Christ, we're coming, like, right out from the world. And our opinions of love are shaped from how we've received love as we grow. Grew up, yeah. And so, it's like, especially with, um, like, something like this being possessive now, sometimes it might not even be malevolent. It might not be a power trip. It mm. could just be insecurity. It could be... Yeah. Um, ideas, past ideas, yeah, past experiences. From, and I mean, maybe this is how you've interpreted love growing up mm. this is what you you thought love was. was and so but then we know we need we know as we grow we need to recognize that this isn't it owning someone is not having like and i think because i think i think about it like god could have us yeah to I be mean, honest like yeah, he, he created could, us uh-huh. but true love i mean the only time it really is love is if we come to him of ourselves and but to do that it, it requires a leap of faith though mm. we need to be able to trust that the other person will choose us and even if but even if he doesn't love is giving the other person the choice not to choose us as well it's like it's being able to put yourself out of their life so if you if you have them you have them not because you didn't give them a choice but because they they wanted they chose you mm. and even if you don't you love them enough to let them be who they are who they need to need be. to be on their own so i think that that's like loving in spite of in spite of affections yeah. in spite of expectations yes yeah. that is like the greatest form of sacrifice yeah. to love you whether you're getting that sort of love back mm-hmm. and that is something the world needs to understand christ teaches us to love not just people who love us mm-hmm. it teaches us to love even our enemies even people that harm us i mean murderers yeah rapists when it's hard the hardest of people people who have hurt you and harmed you yeah. christ teaches us to love us love those people and it's it's very hard from our human perspective to like come to terms with that do you mean that this person who robbed from me or this person who raped me when i was three years old or this person who raped me when i was 13 and I had a child for him and I had to go through nine months of pregnancy. Are you trying to say that I'm supposed to love? But that's where the love of Christ comes in. Yeah. The love of Christ compels us. Yes, it, it does. It, I think that, that is the proper, the compelling, the commanding. It's like we have an obligation. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is actually like reciprocity because we, we, we're commanded to do this because we've accepted the love of God. So we love because he first loved us. Yeah. First John four nineteen. Uh-huh. He he loved us despite ourselves. Yeah. And so and that's the reason why he expects us to do this. I think people others. need to understand that um we were ungodly. Yeah. Sometimes when we think of loving others in that same way, we kind of remove ourselves. Yeah, we rationalize our position. We yeah. weren't that bad. We're like, right? oh come on. But compared to God though. You were terrible. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like how you put it. You know, so compared to God, you were, you were the scum, scum, scum. You were. The Isaiah puts it as the most righteous of them were like filthy rags. Yeah. So if you were like filthy rags, even when you were trying to be righteous, 
imagine what it was when imagine what it exactly when you were sinful and yeah. going through ungodly act but yet god loves us yeah and he's just saying do because like i've loved you uh-huh. do likewise because yeah. i've loved you and i didn't just love you abstractly i've loved you and i've given you the capacity with the holy spirit on the inside for you to love others as well yeah. so do likewise and I think what the word is grace in that. So like if yeah. you're going to be loving, what it means is that you have to be gracious towards other people. People. To let I mean it's it's not love on your own terms. And you were talking a little a, little, a couple of minutes ago about how you had to learn to accept love From that wasn't yeah. in the way you expected, expected it or preferred it, yeah. it to be. Yeah. So yeah, we need to find ourselves we need to find Put our, get ourselves to the place where we could be we can be gracious about receiving love from other people yeah as, as much ways. as we want to give mm-hmm. we also need to like receive love in ways that we don't want it in the ways that we don't expect it and there's this whole thing where i, I learned about love languages and everything mm-hmm. and love languages are amazing it helps you to know how to optimally love your partner but here's the issue and i i'm saying this here's the issue because i've been part of that issue as well when you now start to think but that's not my love language why would you love me like that Uh that's where the problem is because that's not the point of love languages love languages are not for you specifically they're for the other person so you're trying to love find the way to love that person the best way but it's not for you to dictate how you should be loved Yeah, that, yeah, I think that's. I think grace is an overarching thing. If you're going to love someone, if you're, and if you're going to receive love, love as well, yeah, you need to be graceful in extending love mm-hmm. to the person, even when the person isn't what you want them to, to be. be, and also gracious in receiving love, as even when love is not the way you, you want, want to, it to, to be. Get it. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've, we've, made, we've made progress here. We really, we really went around and. Yeah, and we came down to the end. Thank you so much, Samuel, for being on this segment. It's my pleasure. The show continues. Stay tuned. Hey, guys. So, this is the final segment for this week's episode. It's called the Scriptural Concepts Segment. However, we're going to be doing something a little different this this week's episode. And that's because it's the love month and um, there's a lot of love to go around and there's so much in the air and people are talking about it a lot. And so I thought, why not do an episode that talks about love, that talks about Valentine's and all of that? Why not do a segment like that? Valentine's is not a scriptural concept. However, I'd like to explore love on a scriptural level. And you know, love as a scriptural concept. So if you you're listening to this right now, you've probably had a Valentine's Day. So how was your Valentine's? Um did you guys enjoy it? Um did you do anything? Didn't you you didn't do anything, you know? So first of all what is Valentine's? So Valentine's is a day where people share love. It's people, it's not just couples. It's not only if you're in a relationship that you can share love with another person. You can share love with your friends, you can share love with your siblings, your family, 
it's not restricted to someone you're in a romantic relationship with and um i think that's something a lot of people don't know about valentine's but if you want to know my full thoughts on valentine's what i think valentine's is in last season season one i did an episode on the 12th of february 2019 it's called single on valentine's day it's about 12 minutes long so if you want to really know my thought process and what valentine's should really be you can you know check that out as well and tell me what you think on social media but apart from valentine's or apart from the 14th um i want us to remember a love that endures today i want us to remember a love that stays forever a love that is eternal a love that's sacrificed The reason I feel that if you stand on the knowledge of this love and if you stand on the actions of this love, you'd be able to love better. It's because it's the love of God. The love of God that surpasses all understanding. I remember a few weeks earlier when we were studying the book of Ephesians, we, we got to this part where it talked about the love of God that surpasses human understanding. That goes beyond what we think it is. That goes beyond what we think love is. It's hard for us to come to terms with a love that's eternal. A love that's immortal. A love that is unconditional. Human beings, and I mean this completely human beings by their carnal selves can never love the way that god loved you can only love the way that god loved when you're influenced by the spirit of god and when you decide to walk in that influence you decide to walk by the influence of the spirit of god so a couple of things i'd like to say about the love of god i said a couple of them while qualifying his love is number one the love of god is unconditional samuel and i have talked about the way that people view love earlier in this episode and we talked about how they see it and there's conditions to it there's conditions that the other person has to meet things like that well, you see the love of God it doesn't have those conditions it doesn't have the you have to do like this or be like this or do like that the only thing the love of God says is come come and find my love come by faith come and accept the love that I have for you that's what the love of God says it's singing a continuous tune it's ready to take a hold of anyone who would open their arms or who would stretch their arms out and accept this love if your partner or your um in your friendships as well if the person that you're being friends with or the person that you're in a relationship with or married to I should remove married from that equation because there's really nothing you can do. But if your partner or your friends don't understand the unconditionality of God's love, if they cannot stand and walk in that respect, it's going to be very hard for them to love you completely. 
they're going to love you with inhibitions and a love like that will not last forever and when i say forever i mean a love like that is not spiritual a love like that is only based on physical things and what happens when those physical things fade away those material things fade away the spiritual identities that you carry as a Christian will always remain can a person or can you love beyond the things that you see can you love even the people that you don't like your enemies can you just love them because your very nature is love You need to found your relationships and your life principles on the person of God because now you're his child. Some other thing or one last thing. The love of God is eternal. It's unconditional and it's eternal. It doesn't have an end. I know that death will do you part in marriage because there is no marriage in heaven. But then, with God's love, you're held together in oneness, even beyond this life. That's the love of God. It lasts forever. It doesn't give conditions. Yes, you can love people from afar, but God still calls you to love those people. That's the eternal nature of God's love. He calls you to love every single person so as you go about the love month and your ovaries and everything is open and there's pressure from social media and every single place to be in a relationship ask yourself can i love unconditionally can i love eternally right now am i loving in those ways not because you're in a relationship Am I loving everyone around me? Am I loving the people that I meet? Am I loving the people that are mean to me? Ask yourself those questions. As I ask myself the same questions as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. It took a really long time to put together, but I'm glad we're finally at an end. If you've loved this episode, you can subscribe in whatever podcast channel you're listening on. And you can also share it to your friends. It will go a long way. I'm super grateful for every single person that keeps on clicking that play button for all my episodes. Super, super grateful. My name is Bunye, in case you forgot. <laughs> Signing out. <laughs>